Do you have a mouth? Of course you do. And now you can take better care of it with Quip, the electric toothbrush that looks like it was designed by Apple and cleans like premium electric toothbrushes, but without the high price. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. And Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip starts at $25, and if you go to quip.com forward slash ARI right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com forward slash ARI. For all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Pray they see God and everything I write here. Yeah. All right. Well, I am sitting here today for On One with Angela Rye, the conversate segment with a dear sister. We have certainly gotten a lot closer over the course of the last year. Um, thanks to y'all's president. But I'm not going <laughs> to delve too much into that. She's already laughing. She didn't want me to even go that. Um, but it is none other than Jamel Hill, who is a senior correspondent with The Undefeated and um, woke woman extraordinaire, <laughs> black girl magic everything. Um, gives us life regularly, even when she's not trying to throw shade. There's some shady digs and we live <laughs> and we are grateful. Jamel, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, it's just an honor to be here because you were somebody that I watched from afar for a while and I was like man I, I just love her and then so the fact that we were able to connect and establish a network was it really meant a lot to me especially uh, when it felt like everything was hitting the fan it was a lot of chaos so I really appreciate you you reaching out even though you didn't even know me that well oh no we love Jamel mm-hmm. we love Jamel so one of the um, one of the I think the most interesting things about where we are is there are people who are connecting um, developing friendships developing partnerships um talking and building just trying to figure out how to create change um and so often i think in our community i wish that it didn't take a crisis or crises to move us to action but i'd love to get your take on where we are overall and how we can be you know constructive about moving forward i sense that uh i sense a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. now um i was having this conversation a couple days ago with kind of a new acquaintance and uh, I guess to use the last two presidents as somewhat of, of an, anal- an analogy, he said, you know, under when President Obama was in office, a lot of us got complacent because it was an official for the culture. We made it moment because yeah. you have the first black president and he, and he and I were discussing this. And like in those eight years, certainly some opportunities arose out of that. It was a trickle down effect. But. we probably didn't take advantage of those eight like we should have you know if we had the same sense of urgency that we have now then I wonder what things would look like so what would they look like I think that's actually like a good conversation to have because when we're done podcasting somebody can continue that same dialogue with their friends and their family members if we could do the last eight years of Barack Obama over again with a sense of urgency what would that look like yeah, I think there probably would have been um, more foundational elements to build off mm-hmm. some of the things that were established during that presidency. And now 
as you said, it's taken sort of a crisis mentality to get us to all loop and network together. So on one end, I'm sort of thankful that that's happened and that right now I sense a collectiveness, a togetherness. You can even take something as, you know, kind of, I wouldn't call it frivolous necessarily, but on the entertainment aspect, like Black Panther, yeah. like what we're seeing there. And that is creating another awakening. And you, you're seeing all these connections being made. And I've sensed that even at NBA All-Star Weekend, everybody wants to connect and network and figure out how we can collectively build the base of power. Yeah. And that's a really, I'm, while you were talking, I'm like, man, I, we should call that like purposeful engagement. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay for us to have fun and to be light, right? Like, everything doesn't have to be heavy. But there's something, I think, like, spiritual about purposeful engagement. Like, where can we connect? Where can we um, effectuate change together? Where can we use our gifts and our talents to build and do something different? I spent with um, Valerie Jarrett, um, Alvin Herring, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Paul. I was teasing them on set doing that, and that's exactly what I get. <laughs> so we did um, a panel together for TNT. It was in the pregame, mostly on, it was called Sports and Society, but we talked about sports um, and activism, athletes as activists, and um, politics. How has... I think our new circumstances, how is that kind of just, cra it's like there's a merging of the worlds now and you can't separate the two. No, and um, I, I say this all the time because uh, unfortunately ESPN has been wrapped up in this narrative of the whole stick to sports movement. Um, which they told is, LeBron, the girl says shut up and dribble. And shut up and dribble, right? Girl. So um, even though, you know, there's a number of people who have nothing to do with politics that has been on that network. I tell you, the day I fell out is when they had Ja Rule on there. Oh, but well, anyway, I, I, but, but LeBron can't say anything, wait, but y'all got Ja Rule on there? <laughs> wait, but time out, who had Ja Rule on? I didn't see that. Yes, um, the uh, Fox Business had Ja Rule what was he Was he talking, talking about, about the election? Oh yes, I, it was hilarious. I still have the screen grab because it's one of the funniest things oh, I've ever have to seen. Post that yeah. the podcast promo. That's going to be the podcast promo. So hilarious. But I say all that to to say is that, and I've told this to many of the viewers of ESPN who often want to say, "I don't want to hear about politics or sports," as if they haven't always collided. Mm. Is that look, regardless of what you want to hear, the athletes are dragging us into this conversation. LeBron is dragging us here, whether we want to be here or not. Colin Kaepernick drug us here whether we want to be here or not and it would be journalistically irresponsible yeah. if we didn't cover their own you know awakening and evolution like LeBron he went from being someone who didn't want to talk about the genocide in Darfur to this mm -hmm. and I think that's just a beautiful progression that he's made beyond just how he's spoken up and used his voice he's created an empire mm -hmm. with all the people uh, that they, all his day ones and I think that's another part of it that probably gets underplayed and he didn't it wasn't one of those things where he just handed them a check right he 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 empowered them by having them do internships having them sit with some of the brightest minds in business and all these different walks of life so that a Maverick Carter stands on his own mm -hmm. and uh, I thought that was really uh, special and so I think uh, much like getting to your point about how we're creating these networks you know we don't all have to be best friends we don't all have to like have the cookout together but I think there are just very individual ways that we can figure out a very narrow way sometimes that we can figure out a way to uplift everybody I think we're we're finally getting the message that if we all can eat 
Yes. Right? One yes. of us rises, it means everything for a lot of us. If you have your own State of the Union special at BET, that's going to somehow rub off on me so that the next... That tele- Jamel couldn't do. <laughs> so that the next television executive, if I come through the door, he's going to be like, well, I've seen Angela Wright do this. I think you can probably do this too. So that's yeah. kind of how it works. So I um I want to ask you a follow-up on being a black woman sports commentator. I want to show this clip of Viola Davis. We won't talk about gender inequality of pay because a lot of the women who've stepped forward and I stand in solidarity with them, okay? What they're getting paid, which is half of what a man is getting paid, well, we get probably a tenth of what a Caucasian woman gets. And I'm number one on the call sheet. And then I have to go in and I have to hustle for my worth. That's what I feel like I'm doing when I demand what I feel. Listen, I have a more than a 30-year professional career. I have... I had a friend who said, yeah, but Viola, your career is better than my career. I said, yeah, but you can't compare me to you. Because once again, I got the Oscar, I got the Emmy, I got the two Tonys, I've done Broadway, I've done off-Broadway, I've done TV, I've done film, I've done all of it. I have a career that's probably comparable to Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, let's Sigourney Weaver, they all came out of Yale, they came out of Juilliard, they came out of NYU, they had the same path as me. And yet, I am nowhere near them. Not as far as money, not as, as far as job opportunities, nowhere close to it. And yet, I have to constantly get on that phone, and I have fabulous agents, by the way. They, they are getting it. But I have to get on that phone, and people say, you're a black Meryl Streep. <laughs> you are, and we love you. We love you. There is no one like you. Okay, then if there's no one like me, you think I'm that... You pay me what I'm worth. You give me what I'm worth. Man. So, Jamea. Oof. So, there, this is a twofold kind of question or point of engagement for us. Um, paying you your worth or paying us our worth as black women. And also, what it's like to be in a space that is male dominated. You are like our black Shiro and, <laughs> and Swan at, at ESPN, but it's, there's not a lot of you. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. Like, it's a rarity. And because it's a rarity, the expectations of you are to be, you know, a, a soft, you know, kind of uh, person who just kind of covered, like, you, you're not supposed to be bold. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be bold and bodacious and vibrant and brilliant. They want you to be like quiet and not have a voice even when like black lives and stuff are on the line and I'm not talking about they ESPN I'm talking about the viewers whether they're you know the Trump trolls I don't know if they're from Russia or wherever but they troll the hell out of us (laughs) so I definitely want to get into both points like the double-edged sword of being bold and black and brilliant and they don't want you to be doing all that. And then also our salaries. Yeah, the salary conversation. We can start there yes. you know, first because um, not only Viola, but mm-hmm. Ellen Pompeo had a, a word, too, when mm-hmm. she opened up about how much she makes and some of the things that she went through. Because as long as we're silent about those yes. things and feel like they're taboo, it works against us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It totally works against us. So what's been happening lately at ESPN, more so galvanized by some of the stuff that we're seeing in Hollywood. A lot of the women there at ESPN were sharing information Good. and figuring out, like, okay, because I've I've told just about any woman in there that would listen, uh, you can holler at me. I'll tell you exactly how my deal breaks down. Yeah, and if I can assist you in some way or um, 
help you sort of understand certain dynamics, I'm here for it. That's I was very proud of the fact. And this, again, the company has to have a commitment to this for this to happen. Mike and I made the same money, mm -hmm. right? And I can tell you in, in, in TV, and you know this, and TV, same thing applies to sports TV. You will have men and women who are co-hosting making completely different completely. things. Completely. Even though they're doing the same thing job yeah all right uh, so uh for a lot of you know women a lot of times we don't find that out because we haven't shared the information and more importantly the men haven't shared it with us mm -hmm. you know when i when mike and i first started doing tv together he made more money than me mm -hmm. even though we're, we're doing the same job and when we uh when we went through a, re a renegotiation you know it got closer and then finally, it was just a lot going on, you mm -hmm. know. And so, um, and finally, with this iteration, it's like, you know, they made it a point to say, okay, we need you guys both at at the same. Like, they got it. Um, and I don't mean to make it sound like it was a tough struggle necessarily, but some of it was the fact that Mike had been doing daily television longer than I had. Sure. And so it was just, it it was an understandable gap. But then once we're on the show and we're doing the same job, it's kind of like, we do, we're still doing the same job. Right. Whether he's got more experience doing this than me or not mm -hmm. so um so yeah i mean i think for most women across the board uh whether you're a woman of color but especially if you're a woman of color we are conditioned to believe that asking for what we're worth is somehow a poor reflection of us isn't that crazy it is it is crazy because you i mean you hear our, all the things we're called if you're just demanding a certain a little a, a certain amount of respect or demanding that you belong in a certain space we get called all kind of names bitches basically you mm -hmm. said it <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much what it is yeah. or difficult yeah. you know and especially if you're a black woman that just fits that just fits a narrative that's existed about us that we're bitchy that we're demanding that we're difficult mm -hmm. like those adjectives are often used with us but when it comes to the to the pay scale we're basically at the bottom rung right you know what is it like 60 cents on, on a dollar? dollar i don't even know if it's 60 cents but i think it was 60 cents but either way um you know that that's an important issue in our business now in terms of us trying to be our full black selves at work <laughs> in sports that can be difficult yeah. uh, for any woman it's you know there's a lot of people still despite the fact it's 2018 who do not feel that women belong uh in that arena even though there are plenty of guys who are on television who they never played in the nfl they never played in the nba they never played in any of the professional leagues they talk about but just because they got a pair of balls is considered right. that they know more, more of what they're talking about. They got about. more hours on the PlayStation. <laughs> Yo, I used to be mean on them sticks. Though, not, so they might, they but might I, not. Said, I said they had more hours. Okay. I didn't even doubt that you played. I figured you might have played. But I'm like, yeah, maybe they decided that was it. So that you, unfortunately, you know, you face a lot of times in sports, mm -hmm. women having to prove what they aren't as opposed to being able to show, you know, what they are. You're under a lot of scrutiny, you know, if, um, you know, when Mike and I were doing the show together, if I make an innocent mistake about a stat or mispronounce somebody's name, then it's like, this is why women shouldn't talk about sports. If he does it, it's like, oh, it's just an honest mistake. Right. And so those are things that you kind of fight on a, on a consistent, you know, basis. And one thing I will say, um, that I've been proud of to work at ESPN, and I don't want to sound like a company shield, but it's true. But when it comes to, you know, putting women in more aggressive positions to lead shows with their commentary, which is different than, say, if you're doing a sideline reporting or you're hosting and you're mostly teeing up other athletes. And not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but they have 
done a great job of putting women in those spaces. And in sports, you do often see women as sideline reporters or hosts or whatever. It's not a lot of places where a woman's opinion is driving something. Mm -hmm. What about the moment um, last year where Cam Newton was getting interviewed by the woman? I think it was just an oppressor after Mm -hmm. the game. And she asked him something. It was pretty basic about football. I can't remember. She asked him about about whether or not, um, I forget which receiver it was, whether or not, he he was displaying more aggressiveness in his route running. Mm-hmm. And she said something about a route tree, which is not, for those who don't know about the route tree, right. that's not necessarily saying anything. It's very basic. Right. Like, it's you know, it's post-curl. Like, and we all know what the route tree is. And so that was just her question. I didn't think, he, I, I think his response... In his mind, he didn't mean anything by it. Like, I don't think he was necessarily trying to take a shot at her, but it just kind of came off very condescending. Well, and the, but him saying that, like, oh, for, a, for a woman... It's funny others. to be talking about a route tree with a woman. Well, like, why like, would that be funny? She's like, a sports reporter. Huh? Right. But I, it just, it was, that's the thing that popped in my mind when you were talking about the honest mistake versus, you know, you you, sh- you have no right to be in this space. Right. Um, and, I mean, women have been on the cutting edge of all types of inventions and creation of cities and you know governing countries not here but you know in other places Hillary would have if the Russians didn't uh, get involved <laughs> you just gotta take them I shots just, I have to honey that's how I get healed that's how I get made whole okay um I wanted to go back for a second to you talking about sharing information, like the salary information, because I think this doesn't just apply to us in TV, right? Mm -hmm. The salary disparities are in every single industry. And I wanted to know from your perspective um, why you think folks are so secretive about about sharing salary information. Um, It's a concept that's super foreign to me, and I think it might be because like when I worked on the Hill, Capitol Hill, our salaries were published. Okay, because so, I was going to ask you in your field. I feel like it wasn't really that taboo. It's well, there were a lot of there are a lot of people who still work in politics but didn't work on the Hill, and it's taboo to them. But like, if you work in the administration, everybody knows how much you make. If you work on the Hill, there's a there's a site called Legislorm. People could find out how much you make. So it was weird to me that people would be like, "Oh, I don't really share." Like, what the hell you mean? <laughs> like, we share it. Our stuff was like fully transparent. But it's weird to me that people feel like they're going to do better if they hide it. Yeah. It, when it, transparency to me has always been like the way, you no, know? No, you're right. I think some of it has been, we've been taught it's a manners thing um, that, you know, you're somehow being disrespectful. If you share your money, you don't want to make people seem like, oh, you're, you know, you're trying to big time them or anything like that. Huh. When it's really just for information purposes mm-hmm. or um, like my mother always super paranoid about everything. When I was, I had this discussion on our recent Dear Black Athlete panel mm-hmm. and my mother immediately sent me a text don't tell these people how much money you make and I was like no my you don't understand mm-hmm. is that this is you know it's not like I carry it around with me in my pocketbook like nobody's gonna rob me because it's not in cash it, right, it ain't under the mattress mama. Right, right. okay so there's <laughs> nothing they can't get to it so but I, I think we just have been taught that it's rude mm-hmm. some of it too is I think there's a lot of people who don't want to share the information because they don't want other people to have that come up Right. Mm -hmm. So they feel like, okay, but if I tell her that I'm making this, then she might make the same as me. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't feel comfortable with that. So some of it can be also rooted in jealousy. I wonder if people understand, like, if it doesn't go to your colleague, then it stays with the entity. And you so you just want them to be right. It's like 
Okay. You ain't getting a return. I mean, no. like it's, it's, no. it's, it's not your money, so who cares? That's, and that's the thing, too. Like, I, um, I'd love to know from, from your perspective, given, I mean, you've had a hell of a year. I think it's been great for your visibility. I think um, there are a ton of folks in our community who may not necessarily be engaged in sports. It's like, oh, this Jamel Hill girl is bad, <laughs> right? Now, but I feel like um, it's also been a tough one like you didn't again you didn't ask for any of this and you talked about like um you know the ways in which lebron dragged us into this or colin dragged us into this which isn't bad either like they have the right to use their voices and they've i think they've done so responsibly um but i just wonder if you have felt anything from women who also work in sports or women sports commentators where you're like damn i wish they would have had my back a little more or has it been have you been surprised like oh that's dope that they were no i, I mean the support far outweighed anything that i could have ever expected mm-hmm. there were definitely a couple women mm-hmm. um in our industry that i was kind of disappointed in mm-hmm. and not that i'm not saying there were like there were a lot of people who reached out to me in support who didn't necessarily agree with what I said, which is cool too. They're allowed wow. their own opinion or thought I was too harsh or whatever. That was fine. But they wanted me to know that regardless of how I may personally feel that you, you have certain rights you should be afforded mm-hmm. or that I'm just here for support or you don't deserve this backlash and this criticism and for the white house to call for your job. Like they, they that were still, but as I, as I've said a few times before, I was sort of weirdly proud of that. I mean, no, a, it's dope. Yeah, as a journalist, if you don't have a public figure that calls for your job, then you ain't doing it right. Like, that's the way it works, you know? But and, the thing about it is, like, <laughs> they shouldn't have called for your job in that instance, but, like, to me it was dope because that means that you were threatening to them. Right. You know what I mean? It sucks for, like, the black person as a violent, inherently criminal, um, inherently dangerous person to be threatening. But it's it's dope as hell <laughs> for a sports commentator on a show to be threatening to the White House. I mean, to me, I'm like, that is boss. It's just, it's different. It, was, it certainly also was a life comes at you fast moment because <laughs> the year before when, um, as you remember, when the former president mm-hmm. Obama had all the holiday parties, right? You don't have to call him former president. He's still my president. <laughs> I don't have another president. It, it's accurate to call him the former president. Okay, um, well, he's just... President Obama. I didn't call you former. <laughs> so I went from one year drinking Hennessy in the White House. Right. True story. <laughs> Fact. To them calling for me to be fired. I was like, that happened in the space of a year. Well, there's a lot of other things that happened in the course of the year if you'd like for me to go over a brief history for you I can do it because a lot has changed it's a, a full 180 shit. in this bitch yeah. um, but no I, I, I do I wasn't as crazy as things may have gotten and I wasn't bothered by it in those yeah. moments um, I would more or less look at look back at it and think like wow that really actually happened huh yes. uh, so I wasn't bo- bothered by it because I, I think a lot of times when you feel like you're on the right side of history you're not really worried as much mm-hmm. you know if there's a part of me that felt like you know maybe the platform wasn't the best because as I've tried to explain like that was a very emotional time in this country Charlottesville had just happened yes and so everybody was just in their bag and I was in my feelings like completely after witnessing that and it's okay to be in your I Mm -hmm. mean given the circumstances you know like of course you're in your feelings and then the thing I know I'm not supposed to tell you this but let me just say this Like, Jamel, the craziest thing to me is I remember during the election saying, this dude is a bigot. This dude is racist, right? You state the damn obvious and people go crazy. And then 
I don't. What just happened recently where they're like, oh, he might really be racist though. <laughs> Duh, bitch, we tried to tell you that. Like, these are facts. There are things that we've looked at that are documented since way before running for office. Like, there's there are Department of Justice settlements for housing discrimination. Like, what are you? T- he said he prefers dudes with yarmulkes to count his money because black people have a lazy gene. He don't have to be racist, but racist stuff comes out of his mouth, but xenophobic stuff comes out of his mouth. And to me, that is a racist, xenophobic bigot. So you saying he's, sorry, I'm mad. No, go but ahead. are you saying that he's, racist, <laughs> that he's racist? I'm like, I'm looking like, I'm, I'm looking to see, like, it, did she say something else? Because is this? Well, sort of it. The trickier part for me versus you, like you are a political commentator and you're in a space where I wasn't the first person to say it. Like you said, no. I heard you say it a few times, yes. right? So the thing- And they used to go off on me. They'd be like, oh, you can't really say Why the hell I can't say that? Like, I mean, I'm looking at the receipts. Fa- now they say it on CNN like, oh, he's done something racist. No. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but the difference is when you're in a sports world and especially mm-hmm. a company like ESPN that is always been you know sort of neutral yeah and that's why I, I I know a lot of people in the community were kind of mad that I said it but they have to understand I worked at ESPN 11 years it's mm-hmm. the best job I've ever had mm-hmm. and uh, our former president John Skipper I had a lot of respect for him mm-hmm. and I put him in a tough spot I mean it's, it's just the truth and unfortunately in our business people really do expect us to just talk about sports but how and that's I think they that's, can't separate I don't know how and I we're look, human Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you are, you are fully black, fully woman. I'm not saying fully because I ain't looked at your genealogy, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. you identify as a black woman. You are. I'm a citizen of this country. You're I pay a taxes. citizen of this country. A lot of taxes. Dog. And I'm, so I'm like, if, you, if you're in this situation where this is happening to you, you are a human being. Like, we have to get to a point where it's like, this isn't partisan. This is just about, I say this all this the time, is just human right and decency. This is right and wrong. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about the gray areas. I'm talking about the stuff that's black and white. Like, peep, I told them, um, I used this analogy in a speech I did just the other day. I was talking about how, and I, I think I got it from a preacher. I don't even know if it's right, <laughs> but it works. There's, um, they talk about if you try to drop a frog in a boiling pot of water, it'll immediately jump out. But if you set the frog in a cool pot of water and you slowly turn the heat up to the boiling point, it'll die in the hot water because it just gets a So what we what we've seen is someone who is and to me, it was sudden. Right. It was jarring because we were Barack Obama supporters and at least thought he was brilliant and represents the country. Well, for some of Trump supporters, this has been like a slow, you know, effect like you've slowly seen these changes. To me, calling Mexicans drug dealers and rapists was a stark contrast. To them, that was that was what was already in their minds. So over time, we're watching this thing happen, and people are like, "Oh, it's not that bad." Okay, well, that was a little worse. Well, that's kind of bad too. But you get to the point where, like, damn it, you about to have like a Holocaust type situation in here. You know what I mean? This is how slavery happened because you slowly say, you know, all of these different things aren't that bad. But when you look at the totality of circumstances, it's horrible. Yeah, and when you look at um is, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Holocaust because when you go and you look at history yes. and you see how that progressed yes. 
there there just are some very similar themes to some of the things that we see happening in our country where I know a lot of us um, the shame of of looking at history is that it does actually repeat itself quite often because we don't learn we don't learn from it and or we think this time is different and it's like the ending's not going to change unless and unless a lot of us are willing to make other people uncomfortable willing to lose some of our own comfort in order to make sure that that doesn't happen again but it was literally like sort of a sweeping you know kind of ideologies that just solely took over Mm -hmm. and we look back in history like wow how could they allow that to happen because this is how it happens yeah (laughs) Yeah. this is what this is what goes down Right. right and technology and other things have made it different but the outcome's the outcome. I mean, even if now you're looking at the, the Parkland school shooting, mm-hmm. I think there's a part of me that is very hopeful this could become a different conversation because, frankly, you have kids who are willing to be much more brave and courageous than adults. Isn't that crazy? You know, it's, it's somebody brought up a great point. Several people have said it. Unfortunately, with Newtown, which I live probably 30, 40 minutes from there. Wow. Those kids couldn't speak, Right. Because they were dead, you know, and so these kids can, they survived and they can be vocal and they are putting, they have social media at their disposal and they are putting some fire on some folks. Yeah, they are. And so it's, I feel the conversation has slightly changed, Mm -hmm. a lot more pressure being applied in certain places. And so I think folks finally really question in the NRA, intangible, concrete, clear, targeted ways. And, and just, and openly, and they're openly challenging government Mm -hmm. and those who they feel like have aligned, who have lined, I should say their pockets at the expense of mm-hmm, safety mm-hmm. and uh, so it's just kind of a beautiful thing to, to watch or even even in sports when uh, you know I feel like Greg Popovich has like a weekly sermon oh my god off. he's been slaying <laughs> Steve Kerr and you know what's crazy I hate I've always hated the Spurs like I've always <laughs> thought that they were like a boring basketball team but like I'm like you know what Popovich got me I'm ready to go take my selfie with them <laughs> and I don't mind if they win a game or two cause he's slaying yeah he's a good dude I mean mm-hmm. and uh, Bruce coach obviously and then you look at Steve Kerr and the Warriors and yes. how and, and this is in some ways why I think the NBA is winning in a lot of ways the NFL isn't mm-hmm. there's a so there's an obvious suppression happening in the NFL obvious which is so crazy which is crazy but in the NBA because it's fewer players and I think because one player can change a whole franchise like LeBron's a transcendent player mm-hmm. so Adam Silver rather than trying to suppress his voice is lifting it up and Michelle Roberts, the Players Association president. Because yeah. they realize that there's so much value in him being a voice out here. And I don't think that that same thing, I don't think, it definitely does not exist in the NFL because yeah. they're worried. Um, they're worried about the consumer. They're worried about uh, you have an older ownership. You know, they've never had a, a, a black owner in the NFL ever. That's so crazy. Right? In the NBA, you have Michael What's, Jordan. What are the demographics? Isn't it like 75% black? Yep. It's like 70% of the players are black and they've the never NFL. had it. And you see, they've struggled to even have, you know, black head coaches. Yes. You know, if not for the Rooney, Rooney rule. rule. Yeah, I mean, they had... Where's the Rooney rule for the owners? The thing is, once they get in there, I always tell people this, you got to remember for when you own a sports team, or most of the owners that do own sports teams, that's not the way they make money. That's just their hobby. And Isn't so, that crazy? yeah, so that's how much money these guys yeah. have. And it's not easy to turn over their ownership because it's so valued. Most of them just pass it down to their kids. So there's never ownership changes. Whereas you see, they got Donald Sterling up out the paint. 
like Girl. fast <laughs> okay so you have ownership changes that happen much more frequently it feels like in the NBA and they're usually younger owners they're a little more in tune with what the product is they're fans I mean, it's just a completely different vibe and feel culturally in the NBA than it is in the NFL Okay, so now I want to ask you a fun question because I dragged you all through politics. And I, was to, I can't help it, Jamel. It's my life. Right I know. You like can you drag, said, you we, can't, drag me that far. we can't separate them. It's like in, intertwined, entwined, all in all in my spirit. I promised myself not to get fired on your podcast. That's good. Yes, because we'll have to start a petition. We don't play about these things. We need Jamel. Today's episode of On One is brought to you by Quip. If you're a person with a mouth, it's likely that you don't brush your teeth for a full two minutes, change your brush on time, or brush twice a day. Quip gets that. So they've designed the perfect electric toothbrush. I'm going to need y'all to brush your teeth, though. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at the fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. And guiding pulses alert you when to switch sides, making brushing right amount of effortless. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or on your carry-on luggage. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. Find out why yourself. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com forward slash a rye right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com forward slash a rye. Let me spell it for you. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com forward slash A-R-Y-E. Quip. It'll be love at first brush. So growing up, I really wanted to be like the girl member of the Fab Five. What? Yes. So I um like so to me, number one, I watched that documentary like a gazillion times. But what I have been praying for, and I, I need Jesus to hear me, especially while I got a Detroit girl in here. <laughs> I really need I need them to to unite to I need there to be a reunion and I want it to happen on my podcast um, and Jamel's looking at me like girl you stupid but I'm serious because are I you, love are them. we talking specifically a Jalen and Chris I mean this the only two that's, that's messing it ha- messing it up you know it's it's very coincidental and ironic you brought that up Why? because I have recently had conversations with both of them what and um, look I I can't really say where those conversations are, uh-huh. but understand, you know, as you said, I'm a native Detroiter. Yes. Chris and Jalen are two of the most prominent, upstanding people to ever come out of the city right. of Detroit. Oh and it breaks my heart mm-hmm. that they have not been able to mend whatever it is was broken. Yeah. I just think it's just going to require... Um, I think it's going to be required for both of them to leave some baggage off the table yes. and just come together as men. Can and you decide. tell them that I can be Iyanla but nicer? 
<laughs> we'll see, do it, we can do it together. Because I was going to say the setting of which I've approached both of them about trying to, you know, kind of come together is uh, at NABJ. It's in Detroit this year. Oh, my God. And I'm sure that they will be honored in some particular way. Yeah. And so the backdrop of having the city there that loves them, supports them, considers them, them our brothers. I mean, Chris's mom taught at my high school. Oh, my okay? God. And so it's like I love both of them so much. And they're so civic focused, community minded. You know, what Jalen has done with the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy in Detroit is truly amazing. Mm. They're both gyms and I want to see it happen as much as you did as much as you do. So hopefully one of these days, because look, we just saw Kobe interview Kobe and Shaq interviewing each other. Yes. We've seen Isaiah and Magic Johnson. Yes. They mend defenses. So hopefully those examples will be able to kind of rub off on both of them. It um, has to and, Jamal. And they can do it. When you think about where we are right now, um and we you even went through like what Black Panther means to us. When I tell you the Fab Five was on the cutting edge of so many of the issues because the root of a lot of these issues is the fact that we know college players don't get paid. We know there are brands that make so much money off of them repping their clothes and their and their gear and their, you know, the shoes. And they were like black socks. Like they were the first time, you black know. Black socks, bald heads, man, long shorts. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. I mean, they revolutionized the way we saw basketball. Like, I mean, and, and so I'm just saying, like, right now, when we're talking about sports and activism not being separate, you know, they're inherently tied together. They were the folks who were moving the needle on that before folks knew there were there was over, at least the the young folks knew there was a needle to be moved well, right it was always um, a weird tension in the sense of you know everybody in the hood everybody in Detroit was just that was the team and even though I graduated from Michigan State they made me want to go to Michigan yeah. so the Michigan was where I wanted to go because of them and then um uh and you know, for journalism reasons, I went to Michigan State, much better program, and they were ending theirs at Michigan. So I made an academic choice. Right. All that being said, culturally, how they just changed things was crazy. But what is what most people don't know and probably found out in that documentary is that there was a huge percentage of the immediate fan base that did not mess with them, that mm -hmm. didn't like them. They received a lot of yeah. racist hate mail, a lot of backlash for who they were. Because they they weren't shutting up and dribbling. They were not that doing crazy? that. And Jalen, you know, he's always been outspoken, mm -hmm. and he he they were just going to be their authentic black selves whether yes. they liked it or not. Yes. And they were freshmen, and, you know, they came in at the time. You didn't play freshmen, or they had to wait their turn, and they were not intent to wait their turn I love and it. so uh i think there's an easy connective tissue between them and unlv yes it was this very similar thing yes very similar i so, love them yeah i love them larry johnson and tark the shark <laughs> um stacy augman stacy augman yeah i Kenny used to Anderson, know a little yeah. bit i used to know a little bit but it's, i it's think you do more no more no i mean uh, the sports stuff i think i've kind of i'm not as on it as i used to. i used to watch college basketball especially with my dad mm. i tried to play i wasn't that good but my three-pointers are me <laughs> Three pointers are still J, huh? That's right. it. That's it. The All rest right. of the stuff One day, needs maybe work. a celebrity game. Maybe that'll be you out there. Just <laughs> be saying. like, just pass to me for the three. Don't nothing <laughs> else. Like I'm a spot up shooter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Defense. The defense. It might be a little good. I might be able to do that. I was like, well, maybe I, I can't drive to the basket that much. I could be like Dennis Rodman on the D. Maybe I, I there used for, to try, for try. rebounds and putbacks. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I just I had to ask you about that. When you think about the direction. Um, um, 
well, not just of this country, but the sports and activism piece. We talked about the Fab Five um, and what they meant for the culture, then shifting paradigms. What's the next step? What's the next next frontier look like? Um, what it looks like, it, it, it's funny how one athlete can completely change um, an entire community of athletes. So, you know, not to throw shade, but you can take it as you will. When Michael Jordan was the most prominent athlete in the world, he he built his he built his brand through you know Gatorade and Nike, and he gave athletes a different modeling. And that modeling was be safe, mm-hmm. be more worried about making this money, try not to get into too many politics, mm-hmm. and so that was his course. And he a generation of athletes followed Republicans by shoes too. Yeah, a generation. Fast forward to where we are now because of Colin Kaepernick, because of LeBron, some of the most visible athletes are choosing to speak out Mm -hmm. Um, that I think those two and many others, I mean, many female athletes. I mean, people forget after Philando Castile, the first team to speak up was the Minnesota Lynx. All right. You know, as as that's so true, as as always, as we often say, black women been new. We've been new, all right? Yes. It was Maya Moore and all her teammates, white and black, together saying this is wrong. And they got and they don't have nearly as much to um they they could lose everything. They don't make as much. They don't make nearly as much yeah. as like a LeBron James, you know. If one endorsement, if you know, say for some reason Nike didn't want to mess with him, he'd be still be fine. But that's really their real livelihood. That's all they have. And they were willing to put that on the line to make their statement. And so just to conversations that I've had with them and and Maya Moore being one like she's all in on criminal justice reform she's working with prosecutors she it's a case uh, of a young man somebody um accused of a robbery that that is uh I guess convicted that's in jail for 50 years over something that is just pointless Mm -hmm. so at any rate so she's doing a lot of work in that area so I say all this to say like they're energized they're mobilized it's a completely different mentality a lot of them have now versus maybe earlier in my career and so I think their next frontier is I love that these guys are always they're thinking empire and ownership Hmm. so I think Hopefully, in the next 15 to 20 years, you'll see more of them in the ownership box, Good. right? In the owner's suite. Like, a lot more of them want to do this. So, because the modeling is just different. They see now how they can build their own brand without being dependent on someone else, right? Like, no matter what LeBron James says, Nike's not ending that relationship. I don't care what he says. Yeah. They're just not, all right? Like in, in, the, in the social justice space, because uh, he's that powerful. And do you he's see using more folks, sorry, do you see more folks going down the road of like a LeVar Ball model where it's like, forget the big brands, I'm just going to build my own thing completely? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, as much as I can find him extremely annoying okay as much as I can find him annoyed I, 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 I use the analogy with him he's a drunk uncle at the picnic oh, Lord, sometimes he makes you laugh he can cut up on the dominoes or space table but then sometimes you gotta say uncle I'm gonna need you to sit down alright so like we're good but the one oh thing God. that he has spoken real truth about and I really respect about him he was not going to let the NCAA use his kids Yeah, he wasn't and I thought it was interesting how so many people were like, oh, he's using his kids. He said, daddy, he ain't using his kids. Right. Would you rather... He got him, a debt to pay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Would you rather him make the money or the NCAA that won't give them anything back? Right, right. right? So Speaking I think there's... Speaking the Fab Five. You know what I mean? Right. And you talked about what's the next step. If the system is to totally break, um, especially in that arena, I hope 
the college athletes become more empowered. Mm. That's where some change, it can only be them. I don't think they realize how much power they really have. They have a lot. And Speaking of this yeah. power, Jamel, like the, even hearing you talk about some of this, I would love to see you do like workshops or something with mm-hmm. them so folks would understand like what their real options are. I know that that puts you in an interesting space as a journalist, yeah. but I, I just think like going back to our inherent blackness and knowing that ownership has been something that's been hidden from us for so long. I constantly reference this um, speech from Dr. King, 1967, where do we go from here? Mm. You know what I mean? I'm, very, I'm familiar. And yep. so when you think about what our obligations are as a people... Like, what kind of conversations can you have where you're like, these are the things that I've watched happen as a journalist over the years. These are pitfalls to avoid. Here's where I see you being able to, you know, make change and be empowered and have ownership. Yeah, I've had, you know, you have those conversations offline with with a lot of people and um, they've been very fruitful for sure. But even within, uh, I'll just use media because that's obviously, you know, kind of my forte. Other black journalists of color, um, you know, we're really, we have always been sort of banded together, but I think even we have to realize what our power is, that now the modeling has even changed for us, where, and you're a great example of this, that, you know, you made the business Angela Rye. You know what I'm saying? Like you're you're able to move and operate in different spaces because you're not completely owned by one person mm-hmm. or one entity. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be the next step for us in media is that we have to treat ourselves like an empire. Bring it all to us. Make ourselves the, the center of the solar system. And that's what... At least one of the takeaways I got from this these experiences that right. I had the last seven months is like I need to be in business for myself. Wait, so speaking of 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 the last few months, there were changes at ESPN. People mm-hmm. were like, "They didn't fire Jamel," and you're like, that <laughs> "I'm not fired, people. That's not what happened." <laughs> That's not so what I want to give you the opportunity to correct the record for the sophista ratchet thing <laughs> to the conversation. I wasn't fired. I wasn't put off my own show. Uh, none of that happened. I made a choice. I made a choice off my own personal satisfaction. Um, a lot of people who have watched, watched me on TV for years didn't realize that I was a writer for a really long time. ESPN hired me as a columnist, and I eventually gravitated toward a TV role and seeing how The Undefeated has such amazing content. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to use my voice even more in the commentary space. I had to get off SportsCenter. Um, they weren't pushing me off, but Sports Center's always been Sports Center. It's always been the evening news of sports. Mm-hmm. You know, scores, highlights, nuts and bolts. And I wanted something more. All right. Um, and so, as I told my bosses there, I was like, Sports Center needs to be Sports Center. It's a legacy brand, it's an awesome brand, awesome platform, but I need to be me. And it's a waste of my time and my talent mm-hmm. to have me right here in this space when there's so much more that I feel like I can contribute and guess what it's a waste of your money so let me move over to something that I think is more um, not just beneficial to me personally but more suited towards my talents because mm-hmm. I was I mean since I walked in the door at ESPN I was in commentary that's what I did I gave my opinion I drove conversations and so um, while I learned a lot doing anchoring the last year on Sports Center, it was just kind of time for me to move on. 
So the hard part was obviously separating from Mike. Um, That's my brother, my Mm -hmm. dog, my homie. And we're going to still partner up and do some things. And, you know, we've talked about bringing the podcast back. And um, but, you know, our because we have a real relationship, our relationship is not done. But I think it's a great even though we both had some of the same uh, we did have some of the same sort of creative frustrations in terms of like how we can put more of ourselves in the show and, and do some of the things that we had done throughout our careers. I think this is going to be so great for him. So I'm I'm happy for him, you know, to be a black man. You got your own sports center. I mean, that still means a lot in today's media absolutely, landscape. Absolutely, absolutely. So what about a book? That's coming, hopefully. Book is coming. Yeah. What, what else is coming? Do you have some <laughs> other treats? What's next for Jamel? We talked about what's on the horizon for sport for athletes. What else can we expect? Because what you can't do is be silent. Yeah. We need you out here. <laughs> no, but as as you can tell out here, there's just a huge hungering for, for content. Yes. And so I'm noodling on different ways that uh, I can create in that respect. And I'm not That's just talking good. about sports. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about the entertainment field yes. and the news field. So some other things there. But... Um, yeah, a book is something that is funny. I never thought I would do a book until the basically the end of my career. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, I wanted to do a fiction book. I still want to do a fiction book That's uh, at some point. But, um, you know, I've been working on uh, gathering um, or putting together like a book treatment for something because I think I have a, another idea in mind. So, you know, hopefully, you know, by the grace of God, I will be able to turn this out yes. and, and get this going and uh, you know again part of why another reason why the move off sports center was beneficial I actually have more time to mm-hmm. kind of do these things so well y'all that. this is our sister Jamel and we're so grateful for your voice and all of the ways in which you shape the culture and move us forward um we need folks to navigate us to freedom even in 2018. <laughs> same thing to you, sis. Like, a navigator. You, you out here sojourner truth into it. So like, <laughs> I'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. Um, ain't I a woman? So yes, we will do that. We are going to, we're going to do something together, y'all, besides this podcast. But um, Jamel, I'm so grateful that you made time for this. Right after All-Star Weekend, I know, too. I know, they, no, I know. She was sick, too. She loved y'all. <laughs> I too. And you, too. Because I was like, oh, I get to have a conversation with Angela Ryan. Hell yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs>